Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Postolka, and with me today, I've got Ryan Wickham here with me. Ryan, thanks so much for being here. Oh, Damon, it's a pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, it's it's cool because we're going to be talking today about the value of sales assessments. And I really think that this is something that I uh, love to be able to highlight with people and and just talk about a few of the things that we see as you go in and do a sales assessment and what what a business can really understand by getting them and how that can help them going forward. So it's going to be right fun on. talking about that. 100%. Let's, do, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan, first of all, tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, cause you didn't start out in sales, but you've done a lot of sales work going yeah, through the career. It's, it's funny, Damon. I actually, um, when I, I started out, I was going to university and I wanted to get into hotel and food administration. Yeah. My goal was to go to Whistler. That's what I, like my, my ultimate goal. I want to get in the ski hill. I wanted to get, you know, get in that kind of that party environment. And then, I had a family situation that, that took place. Um, so I, I dropped out of university and came home yeah. to take care of the bills and, and take care of that situation. And, and four years later, when, when the situation kind of, you know, uh, came to a head, I, I realized I've gone, I'd gone from the attempt on the midnight shift of a factory, you know, punch press yeah. to being a manager of a shift and in the four years. And so I was wow. pretty much knee deep in the automotive industry at that point with, uh, with Magna international. And, it got, I made a decision. I, I thought, okay, they went back to school and Whistler was still calling my name. Yeah. And I thought, no, I'm going to stick it out with automotive. I, I was there 13 years and then realized that I didn't want to do this anymore. I didn't want the, the mandatory overtime. I didn't want the you know rotating shifts. Yeah. You know, I wanted to start a family. So I, um, I transitioned and, and <laughs> I joined a startup. So I went from being employee five, five, eight, seven at Magna to being employee seven at this robotic startup wow and i was there six years so i, I kind of had the, the the biggest spectrum of change from mm -hmm. established you know cadenced you know solidified processes to no processes yeah. and establishing the supply chain within this this startup and i did that for six years so in the first 20 years of my business career i had two jobs yeah and and the whole time though i thought I, I always had that, that personality where I wanted to get out. I wanted to explore and I wanted to, to do more things. And I determined that transitioning to sales was one of what I wanted to do. So I kind of, I went from the supply chain and operations realm into sales. And honestly, it's been, it's been a bit of a ride. I've learned a lot. I've made mistakes, but it, it's, it's amazing how, how just how different it is. But at the same time, it's, it's very similar. You know, mm -hmm. sales is very operational. There's a lot of process behind it. And obviously operations and supply chain, that's process based. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I think, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, is, is your operational background really has to help in the sales setting 
because that process foundation is so important to, important to get a, a consistent sales result. 100%. And one of the things that, that you know, I try to put forth when I talk to people is that the need for a playbook of some kind, either a sales playbook or a customer experience playbook or an account management playbook is so drastically important because as you add salespeople, if they're doing if they have the same goal but they're doing things differently you don't you don't really know how to how to assess them and you yeah. don't know how to you know what do you how do you change them or do you want to change them yeah what's working what's not working but if it's constantly moving as a sales manager you're looking at and it, and it's you're almost trying to kick a field goal through goalposts that are moving yeah because there is no there's nothing static and there's nothing that is solidified and established and a playbook kind of does that. A playbook slows down the the goalpost. Yeah, that's for sure. And and you, you God, there's a lot in there. Let's just back up. <laughs> Let's just back sure. up a second because you you talk about process in sales, and this is yeah. one of the things that that I think a lot of manufacturers have some challenge with because because honestly, they they are still a fair amount of the manufacturing base is still using people on the road talking yeah. to customers type of sales and that from years ago and 20 years ago when when you know hell when i was selling uh yeah. manufacturing products it there no one talked about a playbook no one talked about sales process you just had good salespeople that could either they could sell or they weren't and that's how they succeeded or failed right, right. and one thing you touched on in there that's so important is as as we've developed the sales skill set overall and what's successful in sales, the, the need for this process, underlying process to drive consistency amongst the whole team of salespeople to be able to measure has, has gone from virtually non-existent to almost a, a barrier to entry or a, a, you need it to get in the, get in the event anymore. hundred percent. Well, we used to, you know, and I, obviously I've been in business 25 years, so I remember having conversations with salespeople from Magna and and being on the buying side too. I'd seen a lot of salespeople trying to sell me things. Yeah. And it used to be that, you know, there was two considerations. There was you were either selling your product or you're selling yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. if, if a salesperson had that kind of charisma and and they could they could sell and the product was good, you know, you formed that relationship and there was a almost like a bond and it and it encouraged a lot of long-term relationship thinking. Yeah. What's happened now is that because of the, the transition to virtual sales, uh, because of the pandemic and for other reasons, too, I think a lot of the, the situation is a lot of these buyers that used to work are now either retiring or they're moving on to different careers like myself. Like I, I did operations yeah. 20 years and now I'm in sales. Um, but what's happening is, is there's a new breed of buyer yep. that's being established and they're younger, they're, um, they're more tech savvy. They are they're perfectly willing to do more research ahead of time. So sales actually gets involved later in the sales cycle yeah. than it used to. It used to be that, you, you, that sales would get involved, you know, 40%, 42%. And now I've, you know, the latest stats say that it's 56 to 60% of the way through. So a buyer is already doing the journey all the way up to 56 to 60%. And then they're realizing, okay, they're doing the research into all different, um, potential companies to work with yeah and they're inviting salespeople to come for these 20 minute meetings stacked upon each other and there's a set criteria and there's and 
they're assessing uh, the companies based upon their presentation, but also their website, because yeah. that's the first thing that sings out about a company is a site now. Um, and then they're actually gauging, you know, the, your 20 minutes that you're given is, or 30 minutes as the case might be, is actually your, your entry point mm-hmm. to have further discussions. Because if you don't impress them in the, in the 20, 30 minutes, they've already done research in, into your competitors. Yeah. These meetings are not exploratory anymore. They're more verification meetings because they've already done all the research. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I'm going to write a couple of notes down because you, you bring up the, again, there are several just stellar points that you brought up here. First of all, the new breed of buyer. And I, I talk about this a lot. I've been, and actually it's, it started a couple of years ago. I was talking about this already. Um, even, even pre pandemic, even, uh, as I think about it, the buying age now, it's not people our age that are typically buying anymore. It's people that are in their twenties and thirties, right? Those people grew up with a smartphone in hand and every time they wanted something, they just on the, you know, get the old phone, get find it on Google and go ahead and do what you're going to do then. And that has replaced the vast majority of people that are buying, or there's still some, obviously some older folks in there, but they're not nearly as many. And it, it has just changed the landscape. And, and literally to the point that you could be an incumbent supplier. Yep. Great product. And if your salespeople are not adapting to the way the buyer buys, you might lose the business just because you don't have a good website, even though the, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. 100%. And, and the actual, in the next step of, of that kind of line of thinking is envision the tools that they have at their disposable now. Yeah. Right. It used to be that, you know, when I was buying, you know, I had an Excel sheet with all of my bill of materials. Yeah. I had options A, B, and C as to where I could buy them from and the different pricing. And I, I could gauge, you know, who to buy from. But now they have such, there's such a vast amount of information available. Uh, that you need to not only worry about what you're uh, what you're selling now, but how you sold in the past and customer yeah. reviews, and yeah. you know, and actually, and how they treat employees. They can a buyer can go on Glassdoor, and they can check information about, you know, what the employees think about working with you. So yeah. if there's negative reviews on Glassdoor about, you know, company ABC, you know, company ABC is in trouble because nobody's going to want to work with them. Yeah. Because the assumption is that if if it's bad to work there, it's going to be bad to work with. Yeah, that's a great point. If it's glad to if, if it's bad to work there, it's probably going to be bad to work with. Right. I got to write that down. That it's is yours, that is so yours, great. It's yours, man. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because that because I mean, really, it is it is a three hundred and sixty degree view of companies anymore as at, at, from a a new breed of buyers perspective right because you can be you can not show enough community involvement you can or show too much community involvement or the wrong type of involvement and stuff this this all makes a difference now and they they expect buyers expect not they just buyers expect that they can find out a lot about your company both on your website and they and they 
understand too that your website you control the information on there right so they're going to look for third-party places of verification where you can go social media like you said Glassdoor would be another one you know what kind of reviews do you have on google what kind of reviews do you have on if you're on a facebook kind of thing what kind of interactions are you doing on your social media platforms oh and and they they can mobilize damon that's that's the issue is it is it you know, not only is that, but they can mobilize forces so quickly, but by social media that, you know, I could be as a, as a seller, I could have the most pristine presentation and I could answer all the questions, do all my research and give them a, a generally a, 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 a very positive experience. But if, you know, if a, a colleague of mine goes on social media and, and says something wrong politically, yeah. And there's no way that they're going to, they're going to buy from me. Yeah. So not only are you it, controlling, you, you, you're controlling yourself. You having to look around and making and make sure that everyone else is in alignment too. And wow. it really is all the leverage has transitioned from, it used to be the leverage had was with the seller because they could can control the narrative and the leverage is completely with the buyer now because they have research and money. Yeah. Right. And, and it's amazing how you, you almost have to cater the delivery of the message and the, and the cadence of the message to to the, the buyer persona and there's a lot of you know there's a lot more impetus on finding out about buyer personas and customer avatars all these things because it, it can't be the same messaging for every single yeah. entry point to a company you know you're going to have you know you not only are you going to have the alignment between entry point of executives or directors or you know kind of a what you call the coal facing masses so to speak but you have to, it's different personalities too. Is, is your buyer introverted? Are they extroverted? Are they are they very technical? Are they um, are they charismatic? Like you have to really cater every single message to every single persona, and do a good job of aligning aligning the messaging with the the receiver. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. That's huge, and because it has to speak to them. And again, it's because they 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 hold the cards. Absolutely. Yeah. We got David Chrysler stopped by. That's thanks, David. Great seeing this afternoon. Um, so we, God, it's just a lot in this, a lot in this because backing up a little bit, when you were talking about these 20 minute meetings, yep. that's a, that's a first that I've heard of that. I'm not in the, in the type of business anymore where you've got multiple suppliers, usually that you're going head to head, but man, that really changes the game. Oh, sure it does because you, you've transitioned. Like the way that that obviously I think we grew up doing business was more on the personality side, and mm-hmm. and you know if someone were to come to see me, for example, when I was buying, um, I'd have someone arrange a meeting. They'd come in with some samples potentially. We go for lunch. We form a relationship, you know, and and then because they'd be looking to kind of it was almost a sign of respect that you got, you know out of your, your seat, got on a plane and or drove to my facility yeah. and came to see me. And that's kind of gone away because not only has the pandemic taken away a lot of that transportation, but a lot of the buyers don't even want that. Like yeah. they, 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 don't, they don't want you to come visit because first off, there is no office to visit in a lot of cases. And secondly, they're either working from home or they have other things in the go. And there, there's so many more considerations that they have especially from a supply chain standpoint, there's more problems than there used to be. Yeah. With, with, with these supply chain shortages, with 
you know, um, employment shortages, you know, in, in Asia and, and, and Europe and parts of the US and all these different obstacles that a supply chain person has to overcome to mm -hmm. have materials come into the facility. You had you coming in and wanting to spend time with them that that isn't necessarily conducive to getting a, getting a, a decision made. They don't yeah. want that. Yeah, it almost you almost become an annoyance if you if you show up. Yeah, and that that you're you're hundred percent there because I think that as as we've tried to get more efficient in our businesses mm -hmm. and expected more from our people just because of global competition and and the desire to run better companies it it definitely has limited the ability to take the time to build those kind of relationships yeah. with a supplier and don't be and don't get me wrong there are situations in which you need you still need to make those relationships for example yes. if you are a a cybersecurity company and you are and your main relationship is at AWS or Microsoft or whoever it is that you're using to as your cloud-based um, uh, support, then ultimately you need to form a great relationship because any any stoppage, any interruption to that service and your entire company goes down. Yeah. So if, if your bill of materials is essentially is one, then yes, you're going to make the time to form those relationships. Whereas if you're buying 500 things and they go into a, a robot or a car, or anything like that, for sure. Like you, you need to assess. You know, what are your strategic accounts, and what are your strategic suppliers, and then you, you know, then those people selling selling those products will get more time, obviously. Yeah, because they yeah. can't afford the interruptions. Yeah. Well, and and part of this too is we we haven't talked about it much yet, and we'll get into it as we talk about a sales playbook and and just the sales assessments, but this really what you're saying what you're talking about the the buyer's journey now these yeah. 20 minute meetings i mean and then you talk about the the critical nature of the component they're talking about and how much time though they're willing to spend with you to build a relationship man when you think of that and put that together if i'm selling common items like yeah. sheet metal wood you know bulk wood product uh, yeah. fasteners Fastener. plastics you know anything like that the importance of being able to sell that almost like an e-commerce i'm buying a you know a teddy bear off of amazon uh if they know what they want is almost undeniable the advantage of that well you have to recognize you know it's almost like you have to know, know your role if yeah. you're selling fasteners and you have a great e-commerce site and like take Fastenal, for example, like not to say go to Fastenal or not go to Fastenal, but with Fastenal, there's a, a great site. You have every single kind of fastener you could possibly want and they'll come deliver it for you. Yeah. And they'll do the VMI. So yeah. when it comes, if you, but if you try to deepen that relationship, we try to talk to purchasers and you try to think, hey, what else is there that we can get in? Um, Ultimately, it's just going to go, go against you, and eventually they'll they'll go somewhere else. Yeah, right. So you kind of want to know your role and and find your niche in that bill of materials, and if you can recognize that it is you know somewhat limited the effect that you have on them, if if you had a shortage of any kind, then just understand that, embrace that, get in, get out, and then yeah. get that consistent delivery. Don't give them a reason to go anywhere else. Yeah, 
yeah exactly and and you're you mentioned one thing though shortage and, and that's your opportunity your opportunity is to build the relationship there is to solve the problems when they have problems as a salesperson or a customer service you know what Damon? i've always thought that sales is is i, I say it's half doctor and half trail guide because ultimately you are the first half of your 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 time you're solving problems you're taking pain away and the, the second half is that you're guiding them to a solution mm -hmm. right so if you, if you have that mindset where you're what role are you playing at a certain time are you the doctor or are you the trail guide yeah and, and if you get them wrong then you know it's not going to work out for you but if you align it and you act the right role at the right time with the right people it actually it actually goes really really well and, and there's not a lot of interruptions and it's pretty smooth but yeah just, i think salespeople you know, understand that it's just you're just taking pain away whatever pain it is even if if you have a sales meeting and you're asking okay what's hurting right now ryan and if i answer if the, if the other person might answer well you know, i know ryan you want to talk about what you're selling but we have big problems in finance right now then i'm going to i'm going to drop the initial inquiry of my reason for the meeting i might help them find a, a finance person yeah right or i might help get them some help because ultimately that's the quickest way to get from a to b a is current state and b is trusted advisor yeah right yeah, and if, it, yeah. If, I, if i'm not i'm not selling a financial service that's okay because i've taken pain away and and they'll remember that i've been a doctor yeah right and i've, I've been that trusted person that they can go back to for other with other questions and, and eventually have... eventually it'll get, it'll, it'll get around to what i sell yeah exactly and you've you've helped them through those problems so it's a absolutely it's a they remember that people remember sure. that when you take the time to to do what's right and and really help them 100 yeah that's awesome so so it's interesting to me that you wanted to go into hospitality and 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 be up in whistler it's a place i love it's a yeah. One of one of the most fantastic places I've found in North America to ski, even though I've I've skied a lot in Colorado and and other places. It, it's it's just of course here in Washington too, but that's a, just a fantastic place. What what drew you there? Well, so I, I grew up in a, a small town of 250 people in northern Ontario here in Canada. Okay. And to me, it just seemed like a place I wanted to go in. And, and I, I think I always knew. Okay, I'm gonna make some mistakes, and I rather would make them in Whistler than you know north of north of Toronto, right? So, I figured that's the, that was the, the appeal. The appeal was, I kind of wanted to increase my scope because yeah. I grew up, you know, a 20 minute bus ride from my school, and then that was, and then went to high school, which was across the road from my public school, and I had the same friends since grade three, and yeah. I played I played sports with the same same people all the time. I kind of wanted to, to just let loose and, and go somewhere where no one knew me mm -hmm. and I could just explore because that was, I figured I wanted to, I was gregarious and outgoing, extroverted. And I thought maybe, you know, hospitality was the way to go. So it's funny how, you know, that situation I referred to previously changed the trajectory of who I was because looking at it now, you know, if I was in hospitality, where would I be? Yeah. I'd probably be in sales. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you ended up kind of probably in a similar place. It's just right. a, a little different uh, geographical location. So, are you, are you are you a skier then? You know, it's funny. I, I grew up uh, about five minutes from two well, big for Northern Ontario snow hills, yeah. and uh, I think I've been on skis three times. Okay, 
but okay. but I just love the idea. Like I'm I'm a, I'm a cold weather guy, you know. I I love the crisp air, yeah. and and yeah, and I, I thought maybe I'll go out there, maybe I'll learn to ski. Yeah, maybe I'm sure I'll get it for free as I as yeah, <laughs> as I yeah. Work there right. So yeah. I just love the idea. Like I love to cook. I love I love food. So it seemed like a great place to to start my business career was to go out there and 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 kind of spread my wings, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up, you know, within, I think it was a, like a seven day transition from you know, being going to my second year of, of university in hotel and food administration. And then, you know, being back and being a temp on the midnight shift Yeah, at a punch press, you know, yeah. making eight fifty an hour. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and on, on the midnight shift too, it wasn't even on like a glorious shift. It was on the midnight shift. So, yeah, you know, it just, it's funny how life takes you a certain path and you just, you do it. And then you learn from it and you make your mistakes and you, you celebrate your wins and, and you move on. Well, yeah. And I think, man, I, 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 the more people I talk to and the more life I live that it just, all those little things and that, you know, sometimes it's a real pain in the butt, you know, the situations we have to go through, but when you look back at it and you go, would I really change it? You know, exactly. that's the thing. And I talk to so many people and I think about, you know, cause we've all had bad things happen in our life as you get older. It just is yeah. un- inevitable. Right. Inevitable. Yep. But would you want to change them? And I look back and, and, and my life and I talk to other people and most of them say, yeah, that kind of stunk, but I don't think I'd want to change it because I wouldn't be right here today. Well, I think change is inevitable. And I think it's just a matter if it's, you know, seismic or tectonic, right? I think it, some uh, change, point. some change happens gradually and there's, almost like a tectonic shift as yeah. you go. And some things are, are, are seismic and they happen instantaneously. Yeah. And you either, you know, so you either kind of gradually change your path or your path blows up and you figure mm-hmm. out another path to blaze. Right. So um, yeah, but change is inevitable. I think if, if you fight change, it just gets more, it only, you almost become salmon kind of upstream. Right. Whereas if you just embrace the fact that change is going to happen and you kind of, ride the wave or, or embrace the current using that analogy. I think you'll get to the spot that you intended to be. Just keep learning, keep it, keep living. And I think that eventually the lessons that you learn will shape who you were meant to be in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And, and I think, I, I don't know, it's, it's uh, the more I read about personal development, the more I think about it, I don't, we won't get on this much because I could go on in a while. I think that's true. I think it's true. I think there is there. If we, if we have a general idea of where we want to go and keep focusing on that general idea, we're going to, the path is going to change. But as we, as we keep focusing in on where we really want to go and as we get a little older and really understand what that looks like, uh, we do end up there in the end. Well, I think my, my father once told me, he said, he said, Ryan, it's, it's okay to, to regret. That's natural. That's human. The problem is when you dwell. Is it when, mm-hmm. when you dwell on something, that's where you get bogged down and, and the negativity kind of seeps in. But it's okay to think, well, you know, why? I wish I didn't do that. And then move yeah. on to the next thing, right? And learn from it. Because I think mistakes r- mistakes are, are almost like if you dwell on it, it stays a mistake. If you, if you, if you kind of move on, the mistake becomes an opportunity to learn. Yeah. Right. But the mistake will stick mm-hmm. with you and you always think, oh, well, I shouldn't have done that. If you keep dwelling on it, it, it can just kind of eats away at you. Whereas if you if you regret, you learn, you move on, you apologize if you need to. 
and then you and then that's it right and yeah on, on to the next thing yeah wise words man wise words because <laughs> it is you know it's always it's always i mean because it is mistakes are going to happen and they're going to uh, happen and if they're made and you know made with good intentions yeah you just got to learn from them move on move on 100 so um coming back again to when you um started helping people with sales assessments and this is something yeah. that i think is is really pretty interesting in the fact that a lot of companies have not even have never considered what a sales assessment could do for them right and and how it could help so when and we talked about this i i believe before we got on or, or as we started here but don't quite remember but the fact that while sales is constantly changing just like manufacturing or supply chain or logistics or or software technology no matter what your industry you're in or medical yeah we often look at sales as a static thing yeah and it's like we have sales people and we're selling stuff um how do sales assessments really help you to change your viewpoint of that and and kind of view it as something that we're working on like a manufacturing process you think yeah well i think the reason that you would do a sales assessment is to if you understand you, you need to change if you don't want to change then you're not going to assess anything you think everything's cool you keep it the way it is right yeah. and and i think that's a the trap that some companies get into because they it's going relatively well they don't have too much in the way of disruption um they've had some generally positive um feedback from employees and from customers so they're kind of cool with what, the way they're at and they're yeah. cool with status quo i think the companies that, that want to almost get under this this vibe of continuous improvement they understand change is inevitable like you said and they're going to to embrace it and i think that the if you look at the your typical kind of change management process you have you know sales assessment kind of happens in that first phase where you're preparing your, your organization for change and you, you, you're the one of the biggest, you know, kind of byproducts is understanding the need for change, mm -hmm. and the real and to really kind of back that need for change up, you need to assess what current state is, mm -hmm. right? And then you go off further. You get to, you know, you craft your vision, you plan for change, your implementation plan, etc. But you need to have a good de definition of what current state is first. And I think that's yeah. where um, a sales assessment really does, uh, you know, a good job because it, it allows you to map out your journey and map yeah. out your decision points and what resources you need, et cetera. And as, as, as humans who contribute to obviously to company success, you, we don't, we spend a lot of time focusing on what's right, but we don't want to face what's wrong. Yeah. And what's wrong is not often discussed. And an assessment of anything in this case you know a sales org will unearth the things that are wrong and from from a standpoint of process or strategy or people but also from an outlook standpoint and oftentimes you find misalignment between what people think success is or or what a sales org does or the process involved or or or, or how to do things and I think that, you know, if your your frontline people think one thing and your director thinks another thing and your VP thinks another thing, 
doing a current state sales assessment will unearth, you know, who thinks what and why. And it, it kind of allows you to get to, you know, unearth those things that need to get the pain. Yes. Yeah. Once you determine the pain points, then you can kind of use them as an opportunity to engage your employees into finding solutions. And there's two massive benefits. The first one is vulnerability and leadership, because if there's a pain point involved and leadership says, yeah, you know what? We need some help that shows that they're human and it, and the distance or, or the perceived distance between the two positions lessens. Mm-hmm. And the second benefit is employee empowerment because you're basically saying, okay, we recognize that there's a need for this. There's a pain point. Leadership says, yeah, we need some help. And if you can give your employees enough, enough empowerment or autonomy to help with the change, then that's, that's a massive step. And I think that yeah. involving them in the sales assessment in the first place shows that, you know, you give a crap about what they think. Yeah. Yeah. How many times do you go in in a sales assessment and find that you get about, if you ask people what they think about, you know, the company or sales or, or that the, the answers you get are aligned well, how many times do you come in and see that they're aligned well? Zero percent. Like yeah. there's, there's always at least one thing and usually, you know, quite a number of things that yeah. are different. And there's many reasons why, like ultimately there are a lot of situations and a lot of aspects of sales where say a VP of sales doesn't want to show certain things, but, but if you, if you're doing this full, you know, pardon my phrasing, but open kimono yeah. um, assessment, then those things are unearthed very quickly. Yeah. And also, and it, that's part of the vulnerability that I mentioned. If you basically say, okay, if a VP of sales or a sales director says, yes, you know, we know that this is not in alignment with our stated um, process or our playbook as an example, then it shows, okay, they're, they're vulnerable. They admit they, that they were wrong. They admit there's a gap and there needs to be this, this kind of come together moment where they build a bridge together. Mm-hmm. Cause ultimately it's your frontline people that are going to be, performing the process yeah so if they're not if there's no full buy-in especially in today's day and age when you have um these massive you know amount of open sales recs and there's there's turnover so you know sales employee retention and sales employee recruitment become become such a massive aspect of these assessments you know you don't want to tick off the people that are going to be performing sales because you might not find somebody readily yeah right yeah. so involve them empower them, give them autonomy, listen to them. Right. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, when I do an assessment, I want everybody involved there Yeah, because it's not just someone throwing down some things they think there's an actual conversation involved. Mm-hmm. Well, David talked a little bit about David Chrysler's here at Gauman again about vulnerability and leadership is huge. And I agree a hundred percent. And, and when you look at, companies that understand this and make that transition from top-down leadership to bottom-up leadership and and really empowering those people the the changes they they can make are, are really pretty staggering oh 100 yeah when, and, and i think that and one of the things damon that's really important is understanding that a sales assessment that's done properly is wide-ranging and mm-hmm. it's not just you know it's not just about alignment because you're not just saying okay does our sales work align with our mission values, goals, yeah. et cetera? 
um, you're looking at things and, and typically there's four buckets that you're looking at. You're looking at, at strategy, people, process, and technology. And you're assessing all four and you're assessing all like you're basically saying, okay, you ask, you know, whatever questions, let's say you have, you know, 40, 50 questions and they're separated into four categories. You're trying to find out, um, okay, what are the things that need to need to get fixed right now? What are phase two? What are phase three? But obviously you're you're probably going to nurse some pretty big fires. Um, For example, if a company doesn't have a, a CRM, or isn't using the CRM properly, then typically, you know, what you'll find is you'll find that there's a bunch of information in a bunch of different places. Yeah. And, and what makes it worse is when an employee might leave and they take with them a lot of the information. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you go to, to re-up with a customer and the customer says, well, I told that, that employee six months ago that we're moving on and we, we weren't, um, weren't going to work with your company anymore. Well, that affects a lot of things. That affects, you know, you have, yeah. you have a, perce- a perceived gap in your pipeline because you think that yeah. that's a that, that's a recurring revenue that's now gone. Yeah. Right. And it affects the, the person in that territory. It affects a people's sales compensation. And it affects operational aspects because mm-hmm. you have the you know the sales part of SNO, SNOP planning. Mm-hmm. If now your your pipeline says that you are now you know ten percent less because the company dropped you then you need 10% less resources theoretically, which means that purchasing needs to know that there are 10% less of something. Yeah. Right. So it affects all the operational aspects of inventory on hand and, and human resourcing on the, on the side of the operations team. Mm-hmm. Right. So it affects the sales decisions that are made and the, the holes in the sales org or gaps that are, that are there for filling have a just trickle down effect in the entire company. Yeah. And I know that people don't want to hear this, but everyone in the company does sales. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's yes. a very unpopular opinion because they don't think that some, some people have a stigma of sales that there's, you know, the sales acts a certain way and they, and they, and they think certain things, but ultimately it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. And you just, you brought up one thing and I want to say hello to, to, Matthew, thanks for being here today, Matthew. Uh, and he also says he's not as using his CRM properly. It's funny you put a comment up about the CRMs because, right. man, that is such a great um, example there of something that the importance of using the right technology. Because, Absolutely. and we we talked about e-commerce, we talked about other things earlier, but the companies that are really leveraging good technology to help their salespeople make it easier for their salespeople and their customer service people, any customer facing people to have much better, higher quality conversations Absolutely. with their co- uh, um, customers and prospects in, in my mind. Sure. And how do you think that that, that is just that simple step of having a decent CRM working helps most companies when you when you uh, over your opinion and what you've seen yeah so i think that when assessing the, the viability or availability of a crm i think you're looking at you're looking at five things you're looking at intelligence enablement engagement um analytics and and coaching because all those things contribute to a successful use like you are yeah not only is a CRM, yes, they can, they can, you can use them just to um, enable or or make 
a process, you know, cadenced and, and consistent. But there's many things you can do with them. You know, you can have you can store documents there, for example. Yeah. And that way they're they're right at the ready during during a um, to put into a, an email sequence. Mm -hmm. You can use it for email automation. You can use it for reporting. You can use it for all these things because the alternative to a CRM is is either it's one of two things. Is either on on this side on the it's a part of an ERP or it's Excel. Yeah, or another database. Excel and Outlook, basically, because yeah. it's just sitting in your email or uh, yeah. Yeah, and if you're doing if you're doing if you're using that kind of method, then it's not live, it's not mm -hmm. vibrant, um, it has no real kind of relevance because you know you can't really take that you can take that reporting or the information and create a report, but it's more of a snapshot. Yeah, in in time, and you can't really use it to assess performance because. So much has happened between the development of the report and the actual meeting between a sales manager and a sales employee. Yeah. Things have changed dramatically potentially. So to have that CRM in place and have that centralized um, customer database and, 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 and create that engagement with, um, with both your, your customer and with your team is, is really important. And I think that to really, if you, if you can show how valuable having a good CRM is, You'll get a lot more buy-in from your team, and and they'll they'll put the information that you need as a manager or as a sales leader in the CRM, and they'll they'll do a lot more updating of their yeah sales calls, and they'll they'll document um, information that if they're not engaged, they they just won't do that, and then you'll struggle because everything becomes manual and becomes like a a very archaic and very um, frictional process. Yeah, and it's you make so just. A plethora of great points in there because uh and i was just grinning because man you just the 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 solid gold information is flowing from you and i don't i you don't you don't even realize how much there's coming out probably but it's cool <laughs> because this is this is one of the things that i've come to realize over the last year or so talking to people about different systems around crm kind of applications and they're wide ranging obviously but you know because when you look at hey i'm a say I'm, I manufacture street sweepers, I have a much different yeah. customer support and sales support requirements through my distribution channels sure. and my repairs and compared to somebody that's selling a straight up a product. But what these systems give you is intelligence and, and, yeah. to, and real time intelligence, because if Damon knows his customer, great, but Damon gets hit by a bus or Damon's off with his family doing vacation 100%. or can't talk. Yeah. Someone else can answer the phone and they can go, Ryan, I see you just placed an order with us. Do you have a question about that order? Do you, and here's this piece of, are you talking about this piece of equipment you bought? How can I help you with that? Cause I've got a manual here for it. It's just like, man, yep. that they, when you put them together, right. It gives you such an advantage that helps your sales and your customer service team create that experience that, that really separates you completely from your com competitors yeah and, and i'll be perfectly uh, frank and, and i think that you know it's important to kind of be you know full disclosure about this this point is is that you know i'm in the midst of transitioning myself yeah so i'm pretty confident that you know w what i left um when i kind of you know made my final foray into into our crm is a good snapshot of all of the people that i was talking to yeah, the information is there. Um, 
opinions are there. Like I said, okay, listen, this is a good, a good candidate, bad candidate. They know what stage of the sales process that, that they're in. Um, I got as much information as I could through assessments and through discovery calls. So when someone comes in after me and they want to talk to you know, company ABC and they see the company ABC, it, it's all outlined. They're 200 employees. Their revenue is 10 million. They, you know, here's what I talked to the director of sales. Here's what he said. Here's his pain points now. Right. It just get, it's almost like a respect that yeah. when you do leave a company, um, you're leaving it in good in good hands. And yeah. if you especially if you can make if you can make that one step further and you can make introductions as you as you leave a company, um, or you, if you if you don't, you know, like you, you mentioned about, about the, the bus number. Yeah, if if I get hit by a bus and I didn't leave kind of of, of my own volition, then what would they do? Yeah. They they have to kind of have the same conversations over because mm-hmm. I didn't update my CRM properly. Yeah, but because I did, they were in a good spot, and and I was pretty happy that I could leave them, you know, awesome. in, in that position as opposed to kind of leaving them in lurch when yeah. I when I when I, uh, when I resigned. And that's that's a great example. It's a great example, Ryan. And David David just re- reiterates what I was saying. He said we need a bigger shovel <laughs> to grab that gold. Oh, uh, David's being nice. I, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. And it's funny too because Matthew said said something about his goal is to use his CRM to keep all the client info in one place. So if they can't reach their normal point of contact, they still yep. get help from an informed staff member. And I, that's what that's what I really have seen is like man, and you gave a great example because you're moving on and doing something else that, uh, you know, people can just pick right up where you left off and not have those, yep. to have to have all those conversations. Because on the customer side, it's like, hey, I, I don't really want to have these conversations again. I have to get my work done and get my business going just like I did the day before. Well, and it goes back to those 20-minute meetings, right? If you you already have these, you know, let's, I, I use 20 minutes as a, as a kind of a, a number that I think is relevant, but it might be 30, 40, whatever it is, but you have a lot less time than you used to. So if a company that you are representing has to go back and have the same conversation, the buyer might, the buyer might just say, listen, like I've already moved on. Yeah. I, you know, I did the research. I, I bought for your competitor. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of bridges burned along the way. And I think you want to be respectful when you, when you do leave and part of respecting your position as any kind of sales employee or a sales leader is updating CRM. And it's not just the employee. It's also the, the, the sales management because feedback is given mm-hmm. you're using the CRM to develop reporting. And if the reports are in there to, um, to use as, as learning tools, for example, or if, if a sales leader works with the marketing team to get a, a refresh of the white papers or other collateral that are in the CRM, you 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 create more effectiveness for your team, yeah, right. If if a salesperson has to go through and dig through the company artifacts or, or you know dig the, basically like the proverbial basement of a company to find white papers and case studies, and um, and and customer testimonials, then it becomes a lot more difficult. But if it's in a CRM and it's it's ready available, I can have a conversation with you right now, and I can bring up some white papers that I've yeah. I've established right and that that it shows credibility and it shows preparation and mm-hmm. i think a lot of buyers respect that that they'll get the information that they requested you know readily as opposed to having to wait hours days weeks yeah for that information yeah because again it's just like the best 
the in these cases, many times, it's who's ever the most uh, top of mind are the people I can get or whoever gets the answer first Absolutely. is, is going to get the business. And a lot of that uh, plays true in almost any industry, even with yep. terribly expensive purchases, if there's oh. some competition in it. Hundred percent, and and it, it's all about you know it boils down to alignment. Everything does, and and not just alignment in like department alignment where it's more of like a a vertical alignment, but the horizontal alignment between your your you know your process indicators, your KPIs, your financial indicators. Like yeah. these are all things that are in alignment too. And and the CRM or anything that uh, any part of your tech stack whether it be CRM or email automation or mm -hmm. whatever it is, needs to, you know, cement that alignment and not yeah. fight it. Right. Yeah. Well, man, we could talk a long time because we, we just talked about a couple, couple little topics in the whole sales assessment process, right, right. but man, it is, it has really been great to talk to you it, just because Ryan is such a wealth of knowledge in this. And I, I'm really excited to, to get to know you more, see what's see what's on the next when you can uh, uh, when you can announce that to us, and right. also just to understand more about watch how you're going to help the next companies do what they need to do in their sales organizations. Because man, it's it's very apparent listening to you that you've you've gone through a lot of these assessments and you understand how to right. diagnose and what pieces to to um, adjust in these sales organization right and I, I encourage everybody i know that we just touched on some things and and you know because the conversation kind of flowed that way but i encourage everybody you know reach out on linkedin i'd be happy to to connect even for a conversation cool. if, you, if companies if, if people have a question specifically about a certain if a certain part of a sales assessment or they want to know more about the theory behind it or the practice yeah i'd be happy to have conversations i love people so i'd be happy cool. to do so very cool. Well, thanks, Ryan. And we got we got Matthew says says thanks, man. We appreciate you listening. Oh, thanks, Matt. And and it's it's so awesome to have you, David. Thanks for being here today. Everyone else that was listening didn't comment. Thanks so much for being here, Ryan Wicklum, talking about the value yeah. of sales assessments. Thanks so much for being here, man. David, it's a pleasure, man. Listen, anytime. Yeah, awesome. Well, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Ryan, it is uh, get a hold of you on LinkedIn. Reach yeah. out to Connected Ryan, Ryan Wicklum, W-I-C-K-L-U-M, right and and connect with him on LinkedIn, and and you will not be disappointed. Oh, I, I appreciate <laughs> that, man. I appreciate that, Damon. Listen, have a great one, and I'll yeah. come at any time. You bet. Thanks so much, everyone. Now, Ryan, just hold on for a second. We're going to sign off for now, and we'll be back again Thursday. And, man, can you believe it already? Next week is the week before Christmas or the I week know. of Christmas, isn't it? Actually, the 25th is on Saturday or something like it's that. It's crazy. Or Yeah, I don't even know. It's so crazy to me anymore. But thanks so much, everyone, and we'll be back again on Thursday.